The Playful Psychologist podcast is hosted by me, Emily Hanlon, a clinical psychologist who primarily works with children and adolescents. This podcast has been designed to offer support to new psychologists who may feel as though they are drowning in uncertainty. It has also been designed to inform and educate parents and teachers on all things child development. Along with some special guests, I explore different aspects of child development, including developmental disorders and emotional regulation, while also advocating for those who may be falling through the cracks in our current system. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of The Playful Psychologist. Today, I actually want to chat about executive functioning skills and ways that you as a parent at home can develop a child's executive functioning skills. So I guess this topic can be a little bit confusing if you know you don't have a psychology degree. So I really want to break it down for you and then talk about what some of the things that um, are part of executive functioning that you may not know. So just to define it, to start off with, executive, my God, can you tell I've only had one coffee today? Executive functioning is a set of mental skills that include working memory, flexible thinking, self-control, impulse control, and all that sort of stuff. We use these skills every day to learn, to work, and just to manage day-to-day life, daily life interactions, and so on. So when you have trouble with executive functioning, it can make it really hard to focus, follow directions, handle your emotions, and regulate your emotions effectively, and a lot of other things. So kids with ADHD and autism all often have um, quite poor executive functioning skills. Does that mean that they are always going to have poor skills in this area? No, it just means they need a little bit of help organizing those thoughts. So if we do look at executive skills a little bit more, we can see that they refer to those like brain-based cognitive processes that help us regulate our emotions and our behavior, help us make uh, proper decisions and kind of set and achieve goals. So I often like to say sometimes when kids don't have good executive uh, functioning skills, they don't take that second to think before they act. They don't have that filter that stops them from doing something that perhaps they know they shouldn't do. But then other things that are involved in executive functioning include, you know, planning and organizing homework tasks or assignments or um monitoring your own performance and being able to regulate based on what you see and your impulses and all that sort of thing. So again, like kids with with weaker executive functioning skills tend to be a little bit more disorganized, a little bit more forgetful, have trouble, you know, getting organized for a task, doing tasks on time. They do get distracted a little easily and they may become really frustrated when routines are changed because, you know, it took them kind of so long to get used to that routine to begin with. So there are 12 skills that are associated with executive functioning. And I want to go through them and break them down a little bit more for you and, you know, define them. So if we look at the first one is emotional control, and that refers to our ability to manage emotions in order to achieve goals, complete tasks and control our behavior. So Um, kids that have good emotional control will be able to like bounce back from disappointment or bounce back from a small failure or a small setback in a short amount of time. So I guess emotional control is is linked to resilience. And um, this also refers to anxiety. So a child can be anxious, but if they're able to bounce back from an episode of anxiety, they have good emotional control. A child with anxiety can still have good emotional control. They don't like it's not one or the other. You can have both. 
The next one is flexibility. So this is, you know, how we spoke about previously, like when when plans change or routines change. Um, Kids with good flexibility as an executive functioning skill are able to, you know, face those obstacles, setbacks or changes and kind of adapt to what they're then asked to do. So young kids with good flexibility are able to adjust to a change um, in plans without major you know, meltdowns or distress or anything, but a high school student, if we're looking at the different ages, may be able to accept, you know, a different job when their first choice isn't available or changes in what parents expect of them or changes in, you know, curfew and that sort of thing. If they've got good flexibility, they're okay with those changes. So the third executive functioning skill is all about goal-directed persistence. So that means that if, if someone has this skill, they have the capacity to set a goal, follow through, make, make a plan and follow through with that plan to complete the goal and achieve the goal. They're not put off or distracted um, by other things. They're not distracted by other people with similar goals and competing with them. It's just getting their goal done. So this could be like earning pocket money and saving to buy something. It could be, um, you know, getting access to the prize box in the classroom, those sorts of things. Then we've got meter cognition. So this is the ability to stand back and just take a bit of like a bird's eye perspective of the situation and yourself in the situation. So it's kind of, in other words, an ability to look at how you may problem solve in a situation. So again, taking that step back to really look at how you're doing or how did you do or what could have been done differently. So younger kids can like change their behavior in response to feedback from an adult. That would be a good example of strong meter cognition. And for a teenager, this would be like monitoring or critiquing performance in an assessment or a sports game. And just like taking that on board as, you know, constructive criticism rather than negative self-talk. And I think that's an important distinction. Then we've got organization. So this is obviously just maintaining systems that help you keep track of information or materials. So this may be like the use of a diary um, or like visual schedule reminders to put toys away, um, setting alarms in your phone. Anything that any child or teen uses to remain organized is a good example of this school. It doesn't matter what it is as long as it works for them. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the next one, which is like planning. So this is just your ability to look ahead, to reach a goal and, and create like a little bit of a plan to complete a task. So for example, if your child has like an essay or a story to write, it's all about like, okay, the first step is I need to think about what the story is going to be about, write a bit of a plan, do a bit of research and then write it, edit it, finish it. That would be them planning. And, you know, with a little bit of help from parents, that's totally fine as long as the the child themselves is kind of taking the reins and trying to, um, you know, do most of the work there. It's all about how they formulate a plan to get a job done or to get an assignment done or just to achieve a goal of any sort. The next one that I want to talk about is response inhibition. So this is just, like I said before, some kids with poor executive functioning skills don't have this. And this is the capacity to think before you do and to understand that there may be consequences for your actions. And this is where a lot of kids with autism and ADHD struggle, impulse control in other words. So they, kids with good response inhibition have the ability to kind of you know, jump up and say something out of turn or have the ability to resist doing or saying something 
um, that may get them into trouble because they take that second or that moment to evaluate how their actions might impact a situation. So that's that's really important and something that a lot of kids tend to struggle with and a lot of kids need to be taught. We assume that a lot of kids have response inhibition and the fact of the matter is they don't and that's okay. We just need to work with them to develop it a little bit. Okay, so the next skill is stress tolerance. So obviously this is linked to resilience as well. And this is just a child's ability to kind of thrive in a stressful situation and manage the uncertainty or any change or any performance demand. So even if it's like having to give a speech in front of the class or having to do an exam, they're able, they get stressed and that's okay. And they might get a little bit anxious, but they're able to, you know, push through and and thrive because of it. So I guess in this case, the stress just gives them the push they need to get over the line rather rather than uh, becoming debilitating for them. So we generally um, have, we talk about this, I guess, when it comes to adults and teenagers, but it is something that is really important um, for kids as well. Then we've got sustained attention. So this is the capacity to, you know, just maintain attention in a task, um, whether that be at home or at school, without distractibility, without too much fatigue, without getting bored and, and all of that sort of stuff. Now this can be, really challenging for younger kids. So an example for a younger child, like a really small child, may be their ability to complete a quick chore with a bit of supervision, um, but not, you know, walking away and doing something else in the middle of completing that five minute chore. That would be a good example of sustained attention. For teenagers, this may be their ability to just sit down, do their homework with a couple of short breaks for a couple of hours, but not getting overly distracted by like social media or what's happening outside and so on. Okay, so we've got three more before we move on a bit. So then we've got task initiation. So this is refers to like a, a child or teenager's ability to start a project without too much procrastination and just getting it done in a timely manner. <laughs> so a young child may be able to start like a chore or a, a poster, let's say right after they're given the instructions. And with a high school student, they may not wait until the last minute to begin a project. So this is really interesting though, to me, and I guess with task initiation and procrastination, I would personally um, look like go and observe that with a bit of caution and take it with a grain of salt because my um, honors research was actually on procrastination and how there are two types. So to break it down quickly, you've got passive procrastination and active procrastination. Passive procrastination is more like just putting it off because you're like stressed about it and all that sort of thing. Whereas active procrastination is putting it off to um, just the right amount of time that you need to get that push to get it done and get over the finish line. I personally am an active procrastinator. I leave things until... No, I wouldn't say the last minute, but I leave things to the minute where I know that I have that like external deadline that pushes me over. Um, So yeah, just because you are an active procrastinator does not mean you don't have good time management, whereas passive procrastination is more associated with poor time management. And if you are a passive procrastinator, that would be more indicative of, I guess, like a um, just a poorer skill in that regard. So yeah, just important to keep in mind. And the final one I wanted to talk to you guys about is working memory. So working memory is our ability to hold information in our memory while we perform a complex task. So obviously um, this incorporates like 
the past learning or experience and then applying that to a situation at hand or a project in the future. So for example, in a really young child, this may be doing a one or two or even three step direction. Whereas with, you know, teens and and older kids, it may be to remember like what the rules are in this class versus what the rules are in another class. Or it may be, you know, applying a math formula that you learned two weeks ago to a question that you have in your exam today. So they're the 12 executive skills that I think fall under the umbrella of executive functioning and I like to break them down because it's not something that I think unless you research it doesn't you don't really come across it. Now a few months ago, when was it? Actually it was at it was a year ago, how crazy. Um, I asked this awesome person from New York, Alexandra Finkel, to write me a blog post which talked about four ways to help develop strong executive functioning skills. Now, she works for this company in New York called Kind Minds Therapy, and I'm going to link her social media um, and the website and everything to this blog post so that you, sorry, this blog post, to this podcast so that you can um, follow up on that. But it's really, really cool. So she's come up with four ways to build these skills in kids. Um, she writes that obviously there are many ways to build executive functioning skills at home, but these are four um, that she's spoken about. So I'm going to share them with you now. So number one, she said that you could set up a dedicated workspace. So having a workspace that a child can rely on to complete assignments, do independent work, read or plan makes a really big difference when a child, um, you know, when you're trying to set a child up for success. So when children need to decide where they will work and don't know where the materials are and all of that, it can create a bit of like unnecessary stress and distraction before, um, you know, the child has even thought about starting an assignment. So by eliminating the need to determine where the work will be done or where the supplies are and all of that, you've just set them up for prior success. So you've like created that learning to learn environment, which I think is really important. So Alexandra shares that some of the things that you may want to consider when setting up a workspace are like, what's the best space in my home that's quiet? What materials will they need? Um, Like pens, paper, paper, that sort of things. Like is the internet connection good there or any other items that they may need? So the idea that everything, the idea is that everything that's needed is already there. So they don't need distractions or anything. So that leads us on to her second point, which is eliminating distraction. So obviously it's never going to be possible to eliminate all distractions, but it is really important to consider what type of distractions you can proactively remove from your child's workspace. So examples here may include choosing a space that's secluded from other family members, ensuring that they can't hear the TV or they can't hear you on the phone, removing items from the space that may distract your child. So like a fidget spinner or the iPad and that sort of thing, and just removing those things from the desk. Third point that Alexandra raised was it may be a good idea to teach your child to use planning tools. So We've spoken about one of the skills being, you know, planning and that sort of thing. But if your child doesn't know how to use those skills, it can be really difficult for them. So using planning tools can help our children prepare and develop long-term planning skills and then generalize that to other environments and not just, you know, when we're talking about homework. And there is there are so many options available online and, you know, like even local shops like Officeworks and that sort of thing. So you can choose whatever you need. It can be like a magnetic board, a diary, anything like that. The whole goal is to help your child have a predictable 
flexible way to break down big assignments into smaller, more manageable tasks. I guess in other words, we're looking at creating smart goals for assignments. And you can model that process for your child by choosing a large project and thinking out loud how you may break it into smaller steps, writing down each step, thinking about how long you think it'll take, recording when you're doing it and that sort of thing. And by showing them and modeling that, they're probably better able to understand how the process will work. And finally, Alexandra talks about creating a calm down corner. So in her opinion, this is an essential part of developing strong executive functioning skills is the ability for your child to regulate their emotions, tolerate frustration and work through adversity when things get difficult. So helping your child create a calm down corner or even a calm down box or bag that they can turn to in moments of frustration is really important when it comes to developing and practicing self-regulation skills. So things that you might want to include are fidget spinners, glitter gl- uh, glitter jars, bubble wrap, stress balls, some coloring in, a visual for deep breathing and, and so on. So um, it's just really important that your child helps in choosing the items for the calm down corner so they feel involved in the process and you teach them explicitly what to do with everything in there. So in the beginning, your child may need a little bit of support and guidance about it, like around how to use it effectively and so that it does become a distraction Um, but then eventually it will become like a bit of an automatic thing and working on these skills with your child can really lead to improved academic performance and self-confidence and independence when it comes to academic tasks so it is really really important and yeah I guess it's just really important to develop strong executive functioning skills because that will help your child develop their lifelong skills that like I said can be used yes in the classroom and at home but generalizing them you know when they're older to the workplace and beyond and even in their social relationships and so on. So I really hope that was helpful. I know this was a pretty content heavy episode, but there is just so much to talk about when it comes to executive functioning skills. And it was really hard to like break down what to include and what not to include. But like I said, I will link the blog post and Alexandra's details and socials in the episode notes for today's episode. So you can check out her page to learn a little bit more, especially if you are in New York. Um, But yeah, I hope that was helpful. And if you have any questions, please email me or DM me at the Playful Psychology on Instagram. Have a great week and I'll talk to you guys later. See ya.